0: Better Call Saul season four episode four talk is over but we are just getting started here on the better call Saul post show recap and now here are the two guys you wanted us to talk we talked I'm Rob
1: Sestrino here is Antonio Mazzaro Antonio how are you <laughs> Rob how are you I uh, I wasn't told anyone requested this but here we are let's do this let's talk yeah. You, you yeah you wanted us to talk here we are
0: I don't know why that we're talking about the talk, Antonio. I said that I watched Julie Chen and Sharon Osbourne uh, and Darlene from Full House or from Roseanne or Connor family, whatever it's called. And I don't know what this has to do with
1: Saul listen it's got to be more engaging than a ball bouncing against the wall right (laughs) (laughs) no uh, i watched the wrong show too i i too watched the talk not talk
0: yes okay and here we are antonio four episodes into season four of better call
1: Saul, and some stuff to talk about Things happen. People watched paint dry. Uh, courtrooms were sat in. oh, there was a massive shootout, Rob, Big like shootout. the likes of which we've not seen. So and we have uh, lots of Mike stuff to play with. So certainly maybe a little bit of a chess pieces type episode of Better Call Saul. But I think we're going to get a payoff in the long run. OK, how you been, Antonio? I'm I'm pretty good, Rob. Uh, I've been going to my group, uh, so <laughs> going I've, been, group? I've been talking through my problems. Yeah, my name I <laughs> I go by the name Henry in this group, so oh. it works out pretty well for me. Yeah, yeah. how's that um, wrist condition? I no condition. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, I have no tells. This is fine. Uh, yeah, I'm fine. I'm okay. Listen, I look forward to the Better Call Saul, but I, I really do feel like this is a show where I, if, if you're watching this in a binge and you're listening to the podcast later, I wonder if your mileage is different than some people that I've seen who are watching it week to week and who seem to be growing some, sometimes frustrated with the slower pace of Better Call Saul. Rob, this has been our story since the beginning of Better Call Saul, the slow pace
0: certainly has been and I actually watched this episode uh, we're recording this uh, Tuesday evening so I watched this episode on Tuesday afternoon so I had started to see some buzz from Twitter that I was like "Boy, people are uh, talking a lot about Better Call Saul on Twitter and I thought either something really crazy happened, or people thought this was a bad episode and yeah, or nothing <laughs> really
1: crazy happened right
0: <laughs> it did turn out to be the latter where I felt like that there was uh, some buzz on Twitter uh, suggesting that boy something better happens soon
1: yeah it's interesting right because i'd have to say to this point in better call saul the climax was chicanery which is i think season three episode five the trial of jimmy mcgill that becomes the trial of chuck mcgill and that was the climax of the show in part because it was two and a half seasons building to this point this sibling rivalry between the brothers we went deep into their history we established all these patterns between the two of them and we showed the ways in which they had wronged each other and it all led to this one great episode and one particularly great scene in the courtroom with Michael McKean. And that is a very memorable episode of Better Call Saul, perhaps the best other than maybe Five O in season one, uh, which itself had all of Breaking Bad and Mike's history to trade on. So I think what we're doing is we're building up more into the bank. So we have more moments like that later. And a lot of what's going into the bank in this episode has to do with Kim uh, and where she's at on her path. Some now, of, th- some the of bank mesa verde or this (laughs) is figurative bank (laughs) it's the literal bank and it's expanding rob we're Hmm. going national this is a federal bank we're putting into yeah Uh, yeah i i think i really do think we're we're building up that same kind of bank or a jonathan bank Or it's a Jonathan bank that's exactly what it is it's a Jonathan Bank it's a Mesa Verde Bank uh, what it's not ultimately uh, is like the most exciting bank right it's not a it's not a bank that uh, that is full of, of these great moments and it's it's funny to say that when we have a, a huge shootout in this episode the the likes of which that the cousins seem to be the only people uh, that really get involved in right now in this universe this is insane stuff but it, it really was more of a chess pieces episode where we're moving these, these people on the board and putting them in the position where we're going to get that payoff later it just takes these building blocks to make it happen and so that's i think we're in the middle of that right now in season in season four
0: here yeah and i didn't have a major problem uh with this episode i sort of like had come in with low expectations based on i was seeing uh, what people were saying on on twitter and and it was fine it was you know a well-made hour of television but i i don't think that the problem is what's going on with Gus and Nacho. And I don't think that the issue that people have is what's going on with Mike. But I really think that this season, Jimmy, without Chuck as an antagonist, has been sort of adrift. And I know that's kind of been his story also here, but just as a character, then His arc has uh, he hasn't had one. He's just like doing random things here Four episodes. I mean, we're 40 percent of the way through this season four. And Jimmy, literally his
1: story is he has almost nothing going on. He watches paint dry. Uh, yeah, this, you're right. I mean, that is the story. And I think what we're seeing, as you're pointing out, is the story that without his brother, he is unmoored and we don't know where his next move will be. We do know, though, we have the luxury of knowing where this character ends up. And because it is slightly different from a kindness standpoint, let's just say, uh, from certainly a cynicism standpoint, we have to get Jimmy McGill to that point. And it's a, it's a long, strange trip. Uh, whether it it leads at a cell phone shop. Clearly, as he's slipping into criminality, it's not just slipping Jimmy at this point, running cons. Uh, He wants to be involved in the criminal underworld in a big way. We already saw him earlier in this season make a better pitch than the vet, uh, the guy who is meant to be the criminal fixer in the underworld. Uh, We see him hatching a plan to aggressively market cell phones to people who want to slip through the cracks or who want to go unnoticed for criminal reasons. I got to imagine that. That's only going to continue. And maybe he, he's going to build up his rogues gallery that we know well from Breaking Bad. Uh, does he slip into the vet's role? Is that where he's headed? Or, or is this more of he's going to continue to dip his toes in the water? Uh, remains to be seen because that's what he's doing right now. He's just kind of feeling his way out. And it doesn't really seem like there's this great direction that he's going in, except we do know the ultimate direction. So I think we have to plot him on that line right now.
0: Okay, so let's talk through what Jimmy has going on. And again, again, it's not a ton in this episode. Uh, Maybe this is the least we see Jimmy out of any of the episodes this season.
1: Yeah, are you saying gimme jimmy, Rob? Is that what you're asking for uh, after this episode? I think this is the least for sure. He probably spoke less in the first episode where he was in mourning most of the time or grieving or, or being worried that he was going to get pinned on him, however you want to interpret that. Uh, he might have spoken less in that episode, but he was certainly a presence in that episode. Uh, he's only got a couple scenes here, so I, I'm not sure. This is definitely low, low volume Jimmy for sure.
0: OK, so we're going to see Jimmy. He is in bed. Uh, he gets a phone call and it is the manager from CC Mobile. I know the show is always doing clever stuff with Breaking Bad references. Does CC Mobile mean anything to you, Antonio?
1: Not that I know of. The Jimmy McGill that we know in, in as, as Saul Goodman, he's got the cell phone thing. I mean, if you want to look at what the, the title card sequence of this show, this particular episode, was the drawer with cell phones in it. Something we associate in some ways with Jimmy McGill. We have the Chuck McGill connection with cell phones as well. But Jimmy had the Hello Kitty cell phone. He had the burner cell phones. He had the drawer in his office. So this is something we know about Saul Goodman, uh, the character. So we know he has a cell phone association. But this particular uh, office, not that I know of. No.
0: Okay, And they want him to take the job as a shift supervisor. They could do the training today. He declines.
1: He declines uh, in part maybe because he just woke up. But it seems like maybe he likes trying to get these jobs more than the idea of actually having any of them.
0: He's like a dog chasing the car, but he does not want to actually catch it
1: unless the alternative is to go to therapy in which case give me the car (laughs) right because kim
0: comes in she gets a post-it out of her bag and uh, she goes to see jimmy who's shaving wants to know what's for dinner again with the thai food he loves that thai iced tea and uh she wants jimmy to talk to somebody she's heard good things about this therapist and jimmy uh listen to stay a shrink
1: really. Yeah. uh, Clearly this is something where someone in his life has recognized that he probably needs some help, but he doesn't want to hear it. And I I love the idea that he says, Oh, by the way, I I got a job. I start today. And Kim says, okay, that's great. Still though. uh, Why don't you go to the therapy? Uh, Do, do call that person still I job or not. So Mm -hmm. she recognizes he needs a little help here. I, I don't know if it's because of his, response to Chuck or his lack of response thereof how he seems to be sunny he also is sleeping in and like I said just unmoored he's not anchored to anything he's unemployed his brother died uh, maybe he took his own life like that's part of the whole analysis so I, uh, she's right to probably recognize that Jimmy needs somebody I mean even Mike smelled it from a mile away so I am not surprised that Kim recognizes this but I'm also not surprised that Jimmy has no interest in this is Jimmy the kind of guy that you expect to want to go to therapy Robert to get some value from it.
0: See I was kind of hoping that we would start to see Jimmy going to therapy have some like Melfi esque scenes uh, in this show where uh, maybe he could like be sharpening his grift talking to the therapist.
1: I mean, maybe it's still to come, right? Like that's a good point and maybe still to come. I don't think this is something that Kim's just going to let go. And the question is whether Jimmy is willing to go to bat on this, because the interesting thing from the beginning here is that, he does turn the job down when he tells Kim that he has the job. As soon as she leaves, he makes a beeline to the phone and says, now, now I, I do want the job. So I think he felt maybe bad a little bit about lying to her uh, and really did want to then follow through on this. So he's a guy maybe who doesn't know what he wants right now. And I do like the idea that we could get him into a therapy session and shrink his head a little bit uh, and have him really manipulating the therapist. There's some possibility for some good material there that we might still see.
0: Right. Let's follow Kim as uh, she is uh, back at court. Antonio, is this where she went in uh, the previous episode?
1: Probably. It seems like it. Yeah. Like this does seem like what she wanted to do in the previous episode where she was telling her paralegal, like change of plans. I want you to take me to court. What we seem to be seeing, and I think the judge is right to sniff this out, is that Kim is sour on where she is in terms of her practice of law. Uh, she has mentioned on the show that she never wanted to go help a mid-sized regional bank become a larger bank. She mentioned Atticus Finch as someone she admired uh, from To Kill a Mockingbird. And one of the reasons that she got into the law was to help people. She doesn't feel like she's doing that with Mesa Verde. Her heart is not in it. And so she seems to be going back into court to to reengage with her love uh, of the law. And that's, that's what she's doing. I don't think she has a greater plan in mind where she's going to find out HHM or find out something that's wrong with Mesa Verde. It's not it. I really do think she's just going to re-energize herself with the law. She wants to be in the trenches, Rob. She doesn't want to be filing paperwork from afar. She wants to be down and uh, getting her elbows dirty. And I think that that's what she's looking to do when she goes to court, just kind of see what's what and see where the opportunities are. Why this courtroom? Why this judge? That in particular, she asked the bailiff who had what docket or what on the docket that day. I think the bailiff mentioned a few things that sounded maybe like they were a little more hands off. And this particular courtroom seemed like it had a little action in it. So I think that's why she chose this one in particular on this day. I think had it been another day, she might have looked another way, like she might have gone somewhere else uh, and said, ultimately, like, I'd rather be in that courtroom. But I think it was just generally that there was some action in this courtroom. Courtroom. I don't think it was any one particular case. I just think it was the nature of the docket that that judge was doing. There weren't pretrial conferences. There weren't things that, that didn't actually have grist to him. She wanted, I, mean, I think she was looking for the opportunity to be appointed or to pick up a case maybe uh, and get her hands dirty a little bit. So this was the place to do that. We see there's a guy representing himself on the first case that we actually really see in this courtroom uh, is a guy who probably needs a better lawyer than this 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 idiot that's representing him, namely himself. Right. Uh, Should
0: we recognize any of these characters in the courtroom scene from Breaking Bad, Antonio?
1: not that I know of there's a one of the judges that's referenced is uh, I think a reference that you've heard on Breaking Bad Uh, Papa Dumian maybe I think is the name of the judge Uh, some of these things are they build a larger universe where they're in the same universe obviously so they do a good job of making sure you can reference these things and these incidents Uh, we had that incident where uh, Nacho was talking about seeing Tuco commit a crime and kill somebody in a previous season Uh, when he was talking about it that's an incident that Hank Schrader mentions in breaking bad so the show is it obviously knows its lore and it goes as deep as the names of some of these judges but this particular judge or any of these characters i don't believe were characters from breaking bad
0: okay and we really don't know anything about the backstory between this judge and kim he just has been the judge in cases that kim has litigated
1: I think that's right. He recognizes her as somebody from HHM, from a big firm in town. Uh, he knows Howard Hamlin well, uh, and he knows who Kim Wexler is via Howard, it sounds like, uh, and recognizes her in that regard. But he's not connected to her or in the loop enough to know that she's left HHM, for example. So I just think it's a, probably a smaller legal community in Albuquerque there, especially among people that are actively practicing in court. So he does recognize her. So does the bailiff. I mean, these are people that she may have encountered and. Previous work that she's done, uh, but they don't recognize her as anything other than someone who worked at HHM.
0: Antonio, did you immediately recognize the plot of the verdict when uh, the judge started <laughs> giving it to Kemp?
1: I did not, uh, Rob. It sounded like a Terry Shivo situation mm-hmm. or some kind of horrible. I thought maybe the judge was, was listing some notable case uh, that he was baiting her a little bit with, but I did not know that this was the plot of a movie. Did you? no definitely not not a big
2: verdict Uh, fan no uh 1982
1: film
0: film, uh starring uh paul newman uh well if there was no episode next week uh for uh and with labor day coming up uh that we maybe we need to do a podcast
1: (laughs) rob i think this might be a good idea for you and your co-host akiva (laughs) winnaker
0: oh okay we'll put it on the wheel (laughs)
1: Put it on the wheel, Rob. The on the verdict. Wheel. Yeah, verdict wheel. Sydney <laughs> LeMay uh, is a great director. So, like, this is probably a very good movie. Two hours, nine minutes. Well, oh, for perfect the verdict. time. Yes. We already know kind of the story, though. Like, we're spoiled completely. Thanks a lot, Judge.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so he says, Look, you are just out here. You're trying to, you know, uh, regain your love for the law, I'll try to get uh, re energized. Come on, knock it off.
1: I don't don't you think he calls her right out like isn't this probably exactly why she's there isn't that what's going on Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I mean I I think it's uh, it's very clear uh, that uh, he nails her dead to rights in terms of okay uh, we get it Uh, you've seen this before you're trying to recharge the battery but it's not going to do you any good so uh, get back to work.
1: And she, and he basically says, if I see you in my courtroom again, there's enough public defender overflow that I'm going to give you something. And she says, okay, I get, I get it. And then she shows right back up in the courtroom, Rob. So I think she's making her intentions uh, abundantly clear. The judge is pretty shook. Maybe that was the okra and eggplant lunch he had, Mm -hmm. but I think he's a little, uh, he's a little taken aback when he goes back out there. He feels like he's talked tough to her and talked her down and she shows right back up again. So she's making her intentions pretty clear, I think.
0: Do you feel like that she wants to be assigned some public defendant work? That's what is going, that's what she thinks she needs.
1: Yes, I think so, which it's very interesting because that's the Jimmy McGill we know from the start of the series. That's the hustle and the burnout life that he didn't want any part of and that he was willing to go through grift and to bend over backwards to try to land the Kettleman's to try to escape from and that's where Kim really wants to to pitch her tent. It seems a little odd. And it does seem like the judge maybe knows what he's talking about. He gives her the grass is always greener speech by saying like, listen, uh, I've got my next couple cases are, are not great. Like, this is not something that you want any part of. Uh, I've got somebody throwing urine at their boss. I've got somebody stabbing their boyfriend over a grilled cheese sandwich. Uh, I think ultimately this is in part the show wants to use Rob, that prosecutor, That was Jimmy's rival or Jimmy's compadre uh, that we saw the first few seasons. That was uh, Omar. Oh, you have an assistant. Oh, why'd you give up that job? I think they just want to use this guy again. So they're putting Kim there at the scene of the crime so they can bring this guy back into the story. Okay.
0: Well, that's a big reach. it's
1: a character appearance draft, Rob. Mm. And if I know my better call Saul people, we're going to see this guy on the show. Okay. We
0: see Jimmy next. He is working at CC mobile. Uh, there is nothing going on. Nobody is coming in. Antonio
1: almost seems like a front Rob. Like I wondered, is this a real business? Like there really is nobody coming in. And the, the guy on the phone says, Oh, you just missed inventory week. It was last week. This just doesn't seem like a real job to me. Yeah. I, Nobody is coming in uh, looking to get one of those flip phones, Antonio. I, this seems like a great deal, Rob. Uh, it's, I, I think I saw a sign said unlimited data, uh, which is odd for 2004 or whatever, but whatever, it's fine. Uh, it, it's interesting. Like no one's coming to this store. It seems like an out of the way kind of place. Uh, exactly the kind of place. The, the minute that Jimmy, the minute that we really saw Jimmy walking in there and nothing was going on. The first thing I thought to myself is he's going to find some way to run a grift here. Mm-hmm. Like this is Jimmy. The idle hand is the devil's playground. like, he is going to find something illegal to do at this store or some scam he can run. You can count on it because you can't put that guy in a place like that and give him nothing to do without waiting for his brain to invent some kind of scheme. And sure enough, by the end of the episode, he seems well on the way. Nobody needs one of those V sixties. <laughs> People don't like playing snake Rob. What's going on here? <laughs>
0: Come on. Come in there and <laughs> it's get a great it. game and get a phone. And exactly. Jimmy talks to his supervisor and he's like, hey, could you get me someplace where I could get a little more action? We really don't know what Jimmy's intentions are. We can just sort of assume that because he is practicing his uh, salesmanship in trying to get these jobs, maybe that just out of boredom, he wants to see how many phones he could sell.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of it. Just, you know, let, let, give me an opportunity to do something here. I'm losing my mind. He's got the cabin fever like uh, Jack Nicholson in the shining bouncing the ball, or maybe it's Steve McQueen in the great escape, or maybe it's Toby Ziegler in the West Wing, but either way, like he's really, he's really playing the game here. He's, he's, he's losing his mind a little bit, I think with uh, nothing to do. And he certainly doesn't want to be alone with his thoughts Rob, not at this point in time, I don't think so. I think he's desperate for some some kind of action, any kind of action, where he can get in there and at least see what's what. Uh, and I do It's a little bit of foreshadowing to Gene in in some ways because here he is, this low level manager of some kind of retail establishment. Uh, I don't know if he put this on his Gene resume, Rob. Mm-hmm. But uh, but yeah, this is. I mean, this is what he's doing. He's sweeping the floor, is getting the store ready, like he's just kind of setting up. It's interesting. We didn't see the training. Like all we've got from the boss is this voice on the phone, uh, some kind of disembodied person. It's like Charlie's angels. Yeah. It's like Charlie's angels. So like, where was the that training? Was the C What's stands it for? for? <laughs> Charlie, Charlie. Uh, yeah. Cell phone. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but where were they? Like, when did they train him? What did they tell him? What, what was his expectation? Like, what was he told to do? How did he know what to do to set up and, and so on and so on. So it's an interesting situation. He finds himself in clearly he hates life though. So mm-hmm. he wants out.
0: Do you think they have a CC mobile at that mall in uh, Kansas that has the Cinnabon?
1: It's a kiosk. It's a kiosk, Rob. By that, by that point in time, it's just a kiosk. And then
0: Antonio, we don't see Gene for uh, Saul or Jimmy for a long time in this episode. Then uh, it's eight scenes later. We
1: oh my gosh, catch up count. with him. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> we see Jimmy still sitting there bouncing
1: the ball. Still bouncing the ball, eventually flips the sign over. He goes down to a rebar joint uh, to meet with Ira, uh, the guy who helped him boost the Hummel figure last week. Uh, and the Hummel figure has sold Rob and it sold for a lot more than they expected.
0: Yeah. And Jimmy's a little taken aback, like, hey, you could have just kept this money. You didn't have to give me my half, but Ira felt like, uh, hey, you didn't have to come bail me out of that situation. So uh, a real bromance is developing here between. <laughs> jimmy and ira uh, i thought this honor was, amongst thieves yeah, yeah. and so uh, ira is like hey uh we got any more of these uh like this uh b- you know uh, bavarian boy hummel business and jimmy
1: says not really not really right it, it, this speaks to uh, the, the jimmy leaves this whole conversation like hey we're gonna do something else don't you worry like we're gonna find a scam but did you think and jimmy's saying not really that maybe he does know where there's at least one more right person in town that has these Hummel figures right
0: because going back to the season one episode with the alpine shepherd boy i mean it seems odd that the show has given us the information of that yes there is actually another hummel which has been mentioned in the show, this character Ira is asking, like, "Hey, do you know where any other of these uh, figures are?" And Jimmy gives them sort of like, uh, eh, not really." I mean, could we see a scenario where Jimmy is hard up for cash, and then we're going to see him have to go and uh, take that Alpine Shepherd boy from a uh, elderly woman?
1: Boy, that would be rough, wouldn't it? Like, it's it's something where. In which way he... would
0: you feel like it would be rough? <laughs> Just like rough that's the to plot see- of the show. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Listen, you're the one who said if the figure last week on our podcast, if the figure story becomes the story of the season, we're in bad shape with Better Call Saul. Um, No, I just feel like if Mrs. Strauss, uh, if she was the uh, person who we we put back on the show and said, uh, now, Jimmy, who she's been one of the people that's closest to him in terms of his clients, uh, he's going to rip her off. Uh, That just seems so rough. Like, I I really don't want to see that happen. Uh, but this guy's got to become Saul Goodman. And so if he is, that's the sort of thing that you could see him taking that action at some point when he was really first looking into that figure online, I wasn't sure if he was talking about something from earlier or not. And I thought, is he really thinking about ripping off poor Mrs. Strauss? Like this can't happen. Can it? Mm-hmm. So if he gets, if we, if we take a darker turn for Jimmy, you could end up there. That said, I don't think he's going to have any problem finding money. This guy's going to be able to run a grift. I mean, he can run a grift pretty much any, anytime he wants on in, in any number of ways. He just, he needs like a Marco or he needs somebody like Ira that he can trust to help him run the grift. So I'm not sure he's going to be hard up for cash if he's willing to get a little, uh, shall we say, uh, sticky with what he's doing. And, I, and will he get to Mrs. Strauss? I hope not.
0: It just seemed so much like that. They were leaving that possibility open when he says, uh, well, not really.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. The possibility's open. I just hope they don't follow up on it. That would be terrible. OK,
0: so Jimmy and Ira, it's not goodbye. It's just uh, till we meet again.
1: And we clearly will meet again. So I I mean, it seems like it'll probably be in the course of this season. I think it'll be relatively quickly. Uh, They've got this guy, Ira. Now it's, it does not seem like the kind of thing with Lydia where the guy's showing up maybe once every few episodes or whatever, this seems like maybe he's going to be one of the major people in the Jimmy storyline this season, because we've got him back to back episodes here. They have a burgeoning friendship. It seems like there's honor among thieves. They can trust each other. I think we're going to see more of Ira this season for sure.
2: Okay.
0: Now, Iris says, hey, if you're going to call me, though, you know, go through the vet, whatever you do, because uh, just call the vet because you never know who's listening. And that puts a little germ of an idea in Jimmy's head about how to start selling these phones. And I thought that this was kind of odd also that Jimmy goes back to the store he paints on the front of the windows. He then goes back and repaints in bolder letters and he comes away with is the man listening privacy sold here.
1: Yeah, he uh, we're seeing now I think the first use of Jimmy McGill advertising directly to criminals. Uh, This is not something that I recall from his legal practice, um, not something I remember him doing in any way with the ads or anything that he's run uh, that may have been over the top, either uh, when he was with Davis in Maine or on his own, Give Jimmy Jimmy, he's directly marketing to criminals, which is something that we know that he does as Saul Goodman. uh, And he's really putting himself out there Uh, here. We see him doing it. I'm not sure how well this is going to go over with CC mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has no problem as Saul Goodman being associated with the kind of guy that would have an inflatable statue of Liberty over his strip mall law office with a giant wall facade of the constitution uh, with the battle him of the Republic playing in the outside of uh, waiting room or whatever. Uh, but this is something that CC mobile might not be comfortable with. And this is aggressively marketing to a criminal underworld uh, that Jimmy is only loosely associated with, right? Now, Um, But it's something we know he later does very well. So again, I think we're seeing the evolution uh, as we continue to see this with uh, Jimmy becoming Saul Goodman. Here we now see uh, another step along the line in his aggressive marketing to criminals
0: that he has all the burner phones that one could desire.
1: Yeah. Yep. That's what it is. Uh, or just maybe <laughs> regressively marketing to people who might be paranoid, not because they're drug dealers, maybe, but because they're drug consumers or they're people who are paranoid for some other reason. Uh, this is who he's targeting. Patriot so he's targeting Act just people. got passed. Patriot Act just got passed. Uh, yeah, so he's probably not to. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a it's a hot button. So it's a good <laughs> marketing strategy. But I don't know about CC Mobile. I don't know how they're going to feel about this. I don't know if in the training they said paint whatever you want on the windows, buddy. It'll be fine.
0: Yeah, just be selling. We don't care what you have to say or do to sell these phones. We got flip phones that need to move.
1: I don't even think they care if he sells the phones. They mm-hmm. just want him to sit in the store. So it will be interesting to see the second part of this though, Rob, I mentioned this at the beginning when we were talking we saw last week with Ira that the the vet couldn't he couldn't make the close he couldn't close the deal on the Hummel figure uh, scheme he couldn't make Ira get there and Jimmy used the do shit gold line and then ultimately that worked out for Jimmy Uh, is this something where we're going to see and I'm sure this has been a hot topic online are we going to see Jimmy stepping into the role of the vet where he becomes the go-between with criminals and people looking to connect with the criminal underworld much like he is uh, by the time breaking bad rolls around he knows a guy he always knows a guy i know a guy who did this i mean he's the connection to fring he's the connection to so many of these people he's got people like kubi and huel on speed dial he knows ira at Vomino's pest he sat he's got his rogues gallery by that point does he get there by somehow replacing the vet by the end of this season rob
0: So the vet is sort of like the uh, dread pirate Roberts. And then uh, Jimmy ends up uh, taking on that job.
1: I like this. Yeah. How do you feel about piracy? I like this. Uh, Yeah, this is good. This is good. Uh, Maybe if we could just get a cameo uh, for Andre, the giant, or I'll settle for Mandy Patinkin or maybe Carrie Ellis, any of them will be fine with me. Uh, Wallace Sean would be good too. I think that would be inconceivable, but it would be great.
0: Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, I, I don't know I, I hadn't really thought of the saul goodman role as uh similar to the uh the vet here in better call saul but yeah uh you make some good points i mean that's kind of like how uh, that uh, you know walter ends up he needs somebody to you know help him move his product and he's like hey i know a guy and he puts him in touch with uh gus so yeah th- that's very interesting
1: yeah. And I think he, I mean, he later does that with, uh, with Ira and Vomino's Pest. Uh, he does, he knows how to get in touch with Robert Forrester who's selling vacuums out there. So maybe uh, Mr. Neff uh, dimed him out at some point to the vacuum cleaner salesman. Uh, we don't ultimately know, but it just seems like he, he has the role of connected to various spots of the underworld uh, guy in Breaking Bad with his also legal practice. And, The question is how much of his legal practice is a cover, like how much of the vet's vet practice is a cover, uh, and how much of it is ultimately the the main part of his job where he's also then loosely connected through that work to something else. Uh, It doesn't seem like he's been oppositional to the vet, but Ira's saying call the vet. I'm sure Jimmy would love to cut out the middleman and call Ira directly Mm -hmm. and not have to deal with the vet. So I'm sure the vet takes a cut at some point of this. I'm sure the vet's not doing this for free. So at the end of the day, maybe that's the reason why Jimmy wants to cut the vet out. It's just a financial thing. And maybe that's what we're going to see. I, I think that that I do think what we're going to see for the rest of this season is Jimmy getting into the more and more criminal schemes. If it's low end stuff like cell phone sales uh, and really reaching out to the underworld people that way, uh, or if it goes full on into being more of a facilitator, like the vet is, I do think that's where Jimmy McGill's headed this season. All right. That's it for Jimmy in this episode. That's it. Give him up. So we're done podcast over, right? <laughs> nothing else happens. Well, there was
0: a lot of stuff going on uh, with the mic and certainly uh, the big action sequence that went on with Nacho, but just overall Jimmy really with almost nothing to do in this episode.
1: Yeah. Literally. And figuratively, this is a low, Alpine low ev- figuratively. Alpine figuratively humbles figuratively. This is a low energy Jimmy. Yeah. But like I said, I think it's more about where he's moving on the board. And mm-hmm. I think it's more about seeing his figure in a different position uh, and perhaps approaching some status where he's, he's gaining more influence and power and because Chuck's not in the season. And I think, I think that's what we're seeing. And then I think we'll ultimately see how that creates a rift between he and Kim for example and the impact that it has on their relationship as he slips further and further away into this negative underworld atmosphere rather than the the atmosphere that we saw with Wexler McGill where they actually had a law office together and maybe they could have made it work uh, if all things had worked out
0: so we actually opened the episode with a uh, flashback which I'm uh, assuming was a young Mike he was building some sort of a playground and let his son Maddie uh, write in the wet cement. Uh, am I interpreting all that correctly?
1: Yeah, this is something that was like loosely referenced by Stacy in season three, maybe episode six or seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'll recall, this is the episode. That's the episode where we first met Anita, right? The character that we see interacting with Mike here, Stacy in that episode. That we saw was off the show that we thought was off the show that we thought her, her fee was too high. Uh, She was too significant of an actress. Uh, Yeah. We saw Mike first interact with Anita because Stacy put him up to building some kind of playground at a church where their meetings were held and Mike was like oh, what makes you think I know how to do that and she said mm-hmm. well Maddie would always tell this story about how you wanted to build a carport and then somebody tried to sell you some bill of goods where it was going to be really expensive so you just up and decided to do it yourself he thought you were a superhero pop and so I think this is that's the memory we're seeing is Mike laying that carport uh, and letting his son Maddie carve his name there and I think we find out later that Mike is probably thinking about this positive memory at a time when he maybe doesn't want to be thinking about Maddie and that the meeting that he's at causes quite the problem with Mike. Uh, but we start, we start this episode in an, in an interesting way for sure with this flashback.
0: Yeah, we had that flashback and then we see Mike say in present day at the group meeting, you wanted me to talk, I talk. and, is this the
1: same like flash forward to what we're going to see later on in the episode? I think so. Yeah. And I, that's what I'm wondering. Or does is, he say this
0: every time after he tells a story
2: at the <laughs> grove?
1: <laughs> you wanted me to talk. I, talked. I talk. Yeah. Well, this is what it is. No, I, I, that's funny. I don't know. I assume that it's the same as later. Yeah, because so I what's think the, the chair-
0: connection, though, Antonio? Is it just that that because Mike calls these people out later on the episode about how, you know, you have this little pity party and you make yourself feel better about each other. But is this just Mike just lash out because he has repressed these memories and then digging them up makes him angry?
1: I think that's part of it yeah I mean jumping ahead a little bit he is seething great performance by Jonathan Banks in the scene where uh, Stacy is starting to talk about how she almost forgot Maddie existed for that morning because Kaylee got up and she made herself breakfast and she got herself ready and she was just going about her business and she was worried what if I forget Maddie like what if I forget him and you see Jonathan Banks just seething in that moment and he's he's going like really hard just trying to like fight back some kind of emotion, whether it's anger or whether it's sadness or whether it's some combination of the two. It's a great performance by Jonathan Banks in that moment and I'm meant to think that he's probably remembering Maddie there and we know from season one 5-0 the, ep- the episode I referenced earlier which many consider to be the best in this series. He's carrying around a lot of guilt over Maddie's death and he probably does not like confronting it. He probably would rather push it away. He probably would Rather not deal with it, and for whatever reason, Stacy going on the way she does, uh, it gets to him, and it brings that right back to the surface. And so, I do think at that point we're meant to think that he was thinking of that memory, and then what happened ultimately was that it went too far with this Henry guy, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Uh, Mike knew that Henry was a liar. We see that scene earlier, right? Mike is at the diner, mm-hmm. and Mike is meeting with Anita. Um, didn't that seem to you like this maybe is a reg- regular occurrence we yeah. the Mike and Anita thing yeah
0: cuz the waitress uh she came over and uh, it seemed like that uh Anita knew her name like th- there was familiarity between Anita and the waitress
1: yeah fran was like you want the usual you uh-huh. know and uh they they slipped into this pattern where they're both he had the paper for her and they were they were working on the crossword together like Walt and Skyler like this is great stuff Yeah. so marco the
0: the clue in the crossword puzzle was something about like uh, ringing a bell, uh, yeah. which was a uh, Quasimodo. But uh, you have to think that that's a shout out to uh, the eventual fate of Hector Salamanca.
1: That's a good point. And I think the clue being Esmeralda, that's a name that comes up uh, with Skylar in Breaking Bad uh, as a baby name that she liked, I think. Or maybe it was Marie. I know it was one of those two. Uh, so, yeah, this is uh, reference reference porn across the board in The Better Call Saul, which, of course, is... Uh, I mean, we have the, the biggest reference porn scene ever uh, later in this episode. So, uh, with the cousins and their shootout. So, this is something they do well. And ringing of the Bell is part of that, I think. But, yeah, it looked like... it. Looked look like Anita and Mike. Uh, this is a regular occurrence that they have some kind of relationship. Uh, Anita, I think maybe wants to take it in uh, a direction. She's inviting Mike to go see her girlfriend's band play. And, uh, Mike, what do you think about Mike's reaction to this invite, Rob? He says he doesn't want to get away from the group.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Can't miss group.
1: I- <laughs> I would, I thought he might want to watch a baseball game or something, uh, but this is more likely. He just wants to hang out at the group. He wants to not miss the group, but maybe he'll stop by after Rob. So maybe he's going to compromise with this. Uh, uh, but he's really, uh, even in this moment, she says, uh, speaking of the group, what about Henry? And Mike is not real. He's not real enthused with Henry to say the least. He doesn't trust this guy at all. Yeah.
0: Well, of course, Mike would know that Wrigley Field did not have uh, <laughs> lights before 1988.
1: Yeah, he's been uh, reading the Bill James Historical Baseball Any abstract, would and- know that. Yes. Well, he was probably there cross checking. Yeah. Uh, he's ready to, yeah. He he had the radar gun behind the plate. Was that Mike in the, uh, Panama Jack hat Mm -hmm. at Dodger stadium all those years, Rob? Yes. Uh, so this is, uh, this is good stuff. So yeah, I, he did know, right. He knew that right away. And that was a detail that he, that he sat on and he knew right away. They make a bet, Mike and Anita, that this Henry guy is a fraud, uh, and that his story doesn't add up. Mike talks about the tell with the wrist, uh, And so I don't know about you, but as soon as we got in that therapy meeting, I was looking around the room for this Henry guy.
0: Mm -hmm, Yeah. And he will be a, a late comer to the meeting. But do you think that this speaks to Mike's uh, obsessive personality where he doesn't want to miss the meeting because that this is just like another one of Mike's uh, obsessive stakeouts? We've seen him a dozen times fill up his thermos full of coffee and stay up all night with his binoculars to look at something. And now here's this guy that's in the group and Mike knows that he's full of it. Mike knows that he's a liar and he can't let it go. He wants to stay there. He wants to observe every single tick that this guy has so that he can eventually expose him.
1: That's interesting. I. I mean, I think that's completely valid and entirely possible for why Mike would be so interested in going to this group. My read on why Mike would be interested before you mentioned that uh, is that Mike is trying to maintain this relationship with Stacy, and Mike is doing the things that she wants him to do. He's always been a soft touch for her, uh, whether it was her either running a con on him or being legitimately full of some kind of PTSD and mourning uh, that caused her to be so paranoid about nothing. Uh, with the previous house where she was and get Mike to buy her that other house uh, or whether it's just being in, in Kaylee's life and everything that's going on that way. It seems like Mike has always wanted to be connected to her and that's been an important relationship for him to maintain which I think is interesting when you think about where we are at the end of this episode when he's ignoring her call and his cell phone. So my thinking was ultimately like at least at this point Mike is interested in doing what Stacy wants and that's priority number number one not what Mike wants and so what he'll try to do is he'll try to balance it but I think you raise a really valid point about why Mike might be actually interested in going to this meeting because what we know when it goes to the meeting is he hates every second of it he mm-hmm. hates all the sob stories he doesn't like the the self-centered what he perceives as self-centered nature of it He is clearly lashing out in his own guilt and anger at the people in that meeting but he doesn't seem like the, the meeting is his happy place by any stretch so he's certainly there for some reason other than the fact that he likes the group uh, whether that's to sniff out this liar like the cop in him that that is that mike is or whether it's because he's trying to pay service to stacy or it could be a little bit of both uh, it's definitely not because mike wants to be there uh, and i think that bears itself out as we see in the meeting scene later
0: okay so we go to that meeting scene and uh stacy Ends up uh, she tells that story uh, about how that uh, she woke up the whole day and she hadn't thought of Maddie the whole time. And I guess uh, this is a uh, another thing that was a trigger for Mike in this scene.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And like I said, the physical performance from Jonathan Banks in that moment, just some great stuff going on there Uh, with the heavy breathing and the way that he's pulling that scene off as he's talking. He's clearly getting pushed and triggered, as you're saying. It doesn't help that that guy Henry has walked in, uh, played by the great Mark Evan Jackson, Rob. Uh, You may have seen him on uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine uh, or The Good Place uh, or I mean, he's just got he's done the he's just so many really great little Uh, Parts that he's popped up on in the last few years. Uh, I think people saw him probably in Jumanji. Uh, So he's got, he was in Kong, that new Kong movie. He he popped up in Glow randomly. Uh, This is not a guy. I was surprised when he popped up in the show because this is a guy who has some recurring roles on some big shows on TV nowadays. Uh, And I just wondered like is this, this, this is it like this this, Mark Evan Jackson's going to come in and do this one scene and that's that like this is all he's here for, uh, and maybe it is. Uh, but uh, you know the way they are with the, the the better call Saul, the Breaking Bad world. Like if they like the guy and they can get him again, I'm sure they'll find a way to get him back in the story. But uh, what did you make of this? Now I assume that uh, that that Henry is a liar and that Mike was right. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any other read of this scene? I don't think so
0: that I I can't imagine that Mike, that we've ever seen his instincts to be wrong on anything. I mean, in the entire breaking bad universe, has there ever been anything that Mike has felt super strongly about and then been wrong about?
1: No, I mean, even about Walter White, he was right the whole time Uh, Mm -hmm. and he was so right about that. So no, I think this is a, this is a, this is a Mike that we see who, Ultimately you you can't really get the drop on Mike. Too He's never times. had a bad read. Yeah, he's, he's he's usually right on with this, and we see the tell. Like oh, we see the guy doing it, and when he's called out, I think it's a good performance by Mark. Evan, follow podcaster, by the way, Mark Evan Jackson. Rob, he's huh. the host. He's the host of the official Good Place podcast, which is a, a delight. He's a true delight. It's a it's a fun show. So he it's uh, a great performance here because I think that he doesn't really betray it one way or the other, but he gets up and and leaves kind of in a cowardly fashion. So you get the impression. That Mike probably was right on, but there's being right, Rob, and then there's being a dick. And I think Mike crosses the line for sure with this.
0: Yeah, he ends up uh, calling him out. This guy, this guy was never married. And uh, they say, Mike, you know the rules. And he goes on and uh, he tries to get him to confess
2: go on, say it. You have no shame.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, Stacy is saying, Hey, Mike, pop, calm down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Anita is saying, you know, Mike back off, like, let this guy be like you, even if you're right, like this isn't the way to do this. And so uh, he's making enemies across the board here. Not a good moment for Mike, but he pushes it. He pushes it. And then and after Henry leaves, Mike just continues to jam it down. the. He continues to jam it down their throats and not in a good way. Not mm-hmm. in uh, any kind of yeah, position. What is the that's good going to make Mike look good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, sorry. I don't <laughs> so let's save that for another podcast okay. rob uh, yeah save it for another podcast uh that's uh not gonna that's that's different kind of breaking bad full reference. Uh, yeah uh, yeah full uh, <laughs> uh, mike also uh what is the word phrase he
2: uses that uh you got to feel sad that's your thing
1: yeah, he says, uh, you were all wrapped up in your sad little stories, feeding off each other's misery. He wanted me to talk. I talked. Yeah, so he's like, he came to the right place. He knew you wouldn't notice. Like, Mike is basically saying, you're all saps. You're all suckers. You're all self-centered and focused on your grief. Uh, and people can take advantage of you, and here you are. And I think a lot of that's Mike lashing out at it himself, obviously. And a lot of that is Mike's own guilt on display. Uh, and he's he's swinging a, a fist that is pointed at his own face at the end of the day. So this is rough. Uh, and I, th- what's interesting, though, is when we talk about Rob, we, we see Jimmy McGill, and he's in he's processing his grief for Chuck in a certain kind of way, and maybe his own responsibility in Chuck's life and perhaps Chuck's demise. We're seeing the same thing with Mike play out in a different way. Mike's own grief about what happened with Maddie and his own role in his son's demise and his processing of that is playing out in a different way. Way Um, so, and we're seeing it to a certain extent with Kim as well, Uh, and we we see that throughout. Like we're seeing that with Gus, right? Like we're seeing Gus in a position where he's making decisions vis a vis Hector Salamanca that have to do with some other grudge that he's carrying or someone else that he's mourning from years gone by. So a lot of this uh, is a statement on how people are processing these major incidents that have happened in their lives. I think with Mike, the interesting thing is what we've seen from him on this show is a guy who lives by a code to a certain extent. And by the end of this show, and we're going to talk about this next scene with Mike, uh, he's in a position where he's trying to go into the Madrigal world, but Gus is pulling him out of it. And we're going to see, I think Mike being pulled more directly into the Gus Fring universe. And the Mike we know from the Gus Fring universe is a more cold blooded, dead inside, ready to kill kind of guy. So I, I suspect that we're going to see Mike getting darker uh, rather than lighter uh, over the course of the rest of this season of Better Call Saul,
0: so we see Mike on his tour of Madrigal. He is uh, looking at stuff and uh, he's uh, got a you know a bunch of different safety violations <laughs> that he's calling out as uh, the hall monitor of Madrigal. so uh, he gets that phone call and uh, he does not pick it up
1: he just he ignores it and this is interesting because he's always been ready to bend over uh, backwards and in the good way or not the good way and the, as the case may be uh, for Stacy and he's not doing it right now uh, he's, he's got to do his job Rob he's got to do his job so yeah he's ignoring the call and ultimately I don't I mean the Stacy and Mike relationship that we see in Breaking Bad is seems completely estranged she's not part of the Breaking Bad universe so I do wonder if part of what we're doing with these characters in Mike's story here is getting them into a position where they're at odds and they really don't communicate anymore and Mike's just part of Kaylee's life and that's it
0: yeah and he's going to get paged and
1: uh, call for uh, Mike Trout. Better call Mike. Uh, I thought this was something horrible had happened with Stacy, and this was her finding a way to blow him up at work somehow. Uh, but no, it's it's him. He wants to talk. He wants to talk to you tonight, Rob. Yeah, and uh, wants to have a meeting. Yeah, this is uh, this is not good. I don't think anybody ever wants to have a meeting with Gus Fring at night. If he wants to meet you at Los Pollos Hermanos uh, and it's, you know, at 10 a.m., maybe you're all right. But if he wants to meet you at Los Pollos Hermanos Distribution Center and it's at night, uh, that is not a meeting that you're going to feel great about attending. Mm -hmm.
0: He wants to see you and uh, Mike accepts it. He comes
2: back and tells everybody, we're not done here yet.
1: (laughs) So ridiculous. This the, the Mike is at Madrigal is, is ridiculous. It's OTT. Did you see Rob? I didn't notice. Did he have a badge?
2: I didn't see if he had a badge or not. <laughs> I,
1: wasn't yeah, looking I didn't at notice that. either. I, we should pay attention maybe. Uh, but yeah, I didn't see that either. So no notice of a badge, but he's right back to work. Uh, but he goes to the meeting meetings at night. Like I said, not great. And Gusk Fring is clearly uh peacocking here, Rob.
0: Yeah, so Gus starts off uh do you have something to tell me? You have something to tell me? Mike? Do you you better tell me
1: before I have to say it myself. <laughs> I, I mean, Mike is uh, you wonder. So what we get when we see Mike and, and Gus in breaking bad is this connection where this guy, the two implicitly trust each other. You wonder how you win the trust of a guy like Gus Fring over. And I think it's built on scenes like this where Mike doesn't back down. He knows right away what Gus is angry about. He doesn't respond in fear to Gus's anger. He's calm. He says, basically, you know, yeah. Nacho Varga. I knew that was going to come back. And, he, and Gus is upset, of course, because Mike knew that Nacho was going to make a move against Hector. How Gus knows that Mike knew that, I'm not 100% sure. I never uh,
2: promised I would be his bodyguard.
1: <laughs> exactly uh and i don't know if to what extent gus was tracking nacho earlier on how he found out about this with mike uh i don't know exactly how gus threaded that loop but he did and mike knows it and mike has said what maybe you just Nacho said. told him maybe nacho told him that's entirely possible or maybe in looking maybe in looking into um, what's happening with the Salamancas mm-hmm. and, and everything Mike knows that happened with Tuco, then Mike, then Gus is able to put together some kind of connection between Mike and Nacho beyond uh, what happened. And I, yeah. so maybe that's part of it. Uh, we just might, the, the point is Gus knows and Gus is upset that Mike knew that Gus didn't want Hector dead. Mike was trying to kill Hector and Gus stopped him and and Mike knows that, that Gus doesn't want Hector dead and was willing to let that happen and Mike is basically like I had no agreement with you to to dime out all of the attempts on Hector Salamanca's life. I'm my own man and Gus says we're well, going to have to prove to me that we're working together on the same team here. I've got a job for you uh, and that's only after Mike confronts him. Yes. So yeah, that was pretty great.
2: Well he's walking up to him and and uh, he says, "You're gonna make a move. You better make it. You brought me here because you haven't asked. Tell me what it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what's the
2: what's the job?"
1: well turns out i need you to go work in a uh in a parking lot booth at the courthouse and tell me who comes and goes <laughs> yeah um, oh no uh, <laughs>
2: not again <laughs> get It's the, prequel. the pimento loaf
1: it's the prequel. get my get me my transistor radio it's the prequel you never knew you wanted right? Kaylee, uh,
2: put the coffee on back to the <laughs> booth <laughs>
1: Oh man, no! I think the job is probably going to be a little more underworldy than that. Uh, it, it it probably is something involving the 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 meth business, uh, the or well, right. the, the drug business. I need you to business. acquire a number of burner phones for me. <laughs> we need you to be in more scenes with Jimmy this season. <laughs> yeah, I need uh, I, four new phones. <laughs> Do you know anywhere you can get a cell phone for cheap? Uh, I, I don't know. know
2: I let me mean, look into it. <laughs> I need a Alpine
1: Shepherd Boy Hummel. Do you know anything about Hummel's figures? <laughs> I have a friend. He is a big collector. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, yeah, we're really. I mean, talk about navel gazing. It's better called Zoll. Like, if we get down that for there, forget it. Gus Ring, no. It's got to be drugs, Rob. It's got to be drugs.
0: Okay. It's
1: got to be drugs. Can't be toll booth. Can't be Alpine Shepherd Boy figures. Can't be cell phone. those pollos hermanos need a new delivery man. <laughs> Do you happen to know any senior citizens <laughs> who would be a good greeting? <laughs> Perhaps an older woman. No, uh, you know, any grieving people? Uh, no, this is not, we're not heading down this path with Mike. He wants Mike to do dirty business for sure. And it's probably going to be acquisition of drugs or scouting out acquisition of drugs or recon about acquisition of drugs. You got to think Gus has the guys. I mean, Gus himself ran quite a con this episode, uh, with regard to the crew that the Salamancas blew up. He had his guys uh-huh. drop off the drugs uh, with a sale at the beginning of the episode, uh, so that the drugs would be there uh, when the Salamancas came and, and shot the place up uh, to get away with them, uh, thus cementing that crew as the crew who quote unquote cementing and off, then writing
0: their names in it.
1: Cementing and then writing Maddie uh, in the in the cement. Yeah, Maddie Cement. Uh, so not to be confused with Maddie Ice. The uh, the yeah. So he ran quite a con himself. He doesn't need guys who are muscle. Um, just theoretically speaking, he's got a lot of goons, this Gus Fring, but what he might need is somebody with Mike's recon skills, Mike's police skills, quality like he control, might need quality control. What he really needs is a He needs a security supervisor, Rob. So he's put the call in and here's Mike. Uh, I've seen some speculation that Gus wants Mike to kill Nacho. I really don't think that's what it's going to be. Why would
0: Gus need Mike to kill Nacho?
1: Yeah. Mike, Gus could just have someone kill Nacho. <laughs> maybe he wants Mike to do it to prove Mike's loyalty uh, because Mike seemingly had some kind of relationship with Nacho. I just don't buy it. I think maybe that could be something that is that we see by the end of the season. But I think this particular job that Gus is interested in at this point has more to do with probably the fact that the drugs were running dry uh, and they need somebody to get more drugs because the border is hot right now.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we see in Breaking Bad that Gus has Mike, uh, you know, on the truck with the deliveries. I think it's going to be something along those lines where he wants to have Mike involved with. Okay, I I want you to start, you know, making the runs with these guys. I can't trust them. You're the only person that that can, uh, you know, spot these things that could be awry. You know, there's all sorts of complications in these drop-offs, and I want you you know, on board with this.
1: Plus, I have a lot of experience with toll booths and mm-hmm. booths of all kinds. Yeah, that you're right. I think that's a good point. Um he has these experiences as a cop and he's already proven that he knows how to run these schemes. And Gus is expanding. Yeah. So that's that's entirely possible. Uh, and you do. You're right. Mike is kind of a he's a jack of all trades for Gus Frank because he's muscle. He's a logistics guy. He's a fixer. He's a, he's a guy who cleans things up. So there's a lot of things that Gus trusts Mike to do at the end of the day. So we're going to probably see where Gus can trust Mike. Uh, and it, it has to be a particular set of skills that he's looking for. And it's probably one that he knows Mike has. So you're right. From a logistics standpoint, it makes a lot of sense that he'd have Mike be lo- Looking into that, whether it's doing the actual deliveries or whether it's making some kind of overtures or inroads or scouting out some potential uh, drug supplier, uh, I think Mike's going to be right on the front lines there.
0: Okay, let's talk about the uh, Salamancas and Nacho and We have a long sequence uh, at the start of the episode, right after we see uh, the flashback with Mike and then the potential flash forward with uh, Mike at group. Uh, A long shot of uh, what's going on at this compound that we're going to see the Salamancas shoot up later on the episode.
1: Yeah. And like I said, it really it didn't immediately strike me as clear what was happening here. But it it really does seem like what happened is that Gus had his guys sell the dope that Nacho had helped them steal uh, or that had been part of. The setup uh, when when Nacho uh, and Arturo were were killed, um, and that ultimately had been uh, what 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 was going on there, uh, and those drugs were then sold in this first sequence, walking through that weird whether it was a trap or a stash house or whatever you want to call it uh, motel, and that Gus Gus had his guys sell the drugs to this crew. Uh, later, the Salamancas would come and Nacho would 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 falsely say yeah these were the guys that ripped me off uh and in doing so put in motion a sequence of events where the salamanca cousins the brothers would come in uh and blow this place up and walk out with their drugs and say you know what there's the drugs that they ripped off from you we're good to go like they had them you're right not knowing that they had them because gus had sold them to him Mm -hmm. yeah
0: and we're going to see uh, that uh, silver firebird that was mentioned in uh, the previous episode when uh, Nacho and the cousins end up going back there later on in the episode.
1: Yeah, again, I, I don't know if that was planted. It must have been scouted in advance where Gus knew these guys had a silver car like that that Nacho could spot out and say, you know, if they ask you anything, say it was this car that way when you go to the site later the car will be there and that will be a piece of evidence for these guys uh, remember they fell for one of the most shoddily staged uh, <laughs> fake robberies of all time so uh no offense because i don't want them showing up at my house to the uh salamanca cousins but they don't seem to be the most uh, brilliant dudes uh gus is playing chess csi playing salamanca csi salamanca rob you just sold uh that's that uh, you just sold that like that's streaming next year i uh, watch it yeah, that's sort of streaming on the Paramount Network. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's there. Um, yeah, these guys don't seem brilliant. So it, it doesn't take much, and this definitely seems to be something Gus has planned in advance. Uh, we later, when Nacho talks to Gus about it, Nacho is smart enough that he can sniff out exactly what Gus is up to, why he planned it this way in advance. By pitting these two, these two families, these two groups against each other, he ensures that neither will benefit from it and that he is the one who ultimately will benefit with the territory and with everything that happens. So this is Gus's plan all along executed to perfection, using Nacho to help execute it. Uh, But speaking of executions, Rob Nacho is scouting this place out and he says like, Oh my God, they have all these guys. I'm going to have to bring these guys back. We're going to have a couple crews. We'll hit them tonight. We'll get all these guys with us. And those brothers, they just get out of the car and start going to town.
0: Yeah. Notch just like, "Wait, where, where are you guys going? What are, what are you no, no, guys? Guys, guys, come back!" And we just see the cousins uh, stabbing guys on the way into the compound.
1: Yeah, did you see? Uh, I couldn't tell under their suits. Could you see their plot armor? <laughs> no, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but there's like blood
0: all over the uh, front of the suit
1: yeah um they clearly i mean we know what their future is so there was this the outcome of this wasn't really in jeopardy uh at least with regard to these two they found a way to make uh, nacho more more right there in the scene so that certainly helped uh but yeah this shootout was only going to go one way rob uh and it was uh i mean at this point it's like these guys are terminator level right like this is uh we know these guys are crazy killers but this is uh this is some next level stuff for sure because that long sequence which you mentioned at the beginning, we saw all these rooms and all these guys, we saw a heavy door with the, you know, it just, it just seems like, Oh my gosh, how did this happen? How did they, with no real advanced scouting, Me, not just says meeting, they, they have a fortress, they have a fortress. And so these two guys talk about the unsullied, like these two guys are in and out. Like this is an incredible work. Mm-hmm. There's explosions, Rob. Like what is exploding? Is I don't know.
2: <laughs> it's <a laughs> pretty grenade.
1: great. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. Yeah, this is uh, certainly like I said, from a Breaking Bad reference porn standpoint, like this is this is what you wanted. When they have these characters that they make such a meal out of in season three of Breaking Bad, uh, you really want to see more from that. And I think we did. So that was great. (laughs) And so Nacho is like,
0: oh, they're in trouble. I need to go uh, help out because they see some guys uh, come through with a rifle. Nacho says, I got to go help out the cousins.
1: Yeah. He did not see the plot armor either. Uh, yeah. He gets stumbles out of the car. I mean, he probably shouldn't be moving. He should probably be in a hospital bed at this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't go well for Nacho. He kills the guy. Did you get the impression that this might've been the first guy that Nacho ever killed?
0: Uh, no, I was not thinking that.
1: I'm, I'm not sure about it. I, I think it could go either way. Uh, he certainly seemed a little taken aback by it. He's, uh, certainly awake in, in the moment. Uh, it was something I don't think he took very lightly regardless. Uh, and he couldn't pull the trigger ultimately on the other guy. Uh, he didn't need to because these cousins, they're, they're, they're out of control. They're flanking. They're just running maneuvers. Like these guys, I'd like to see a crossover where these guys get into the walking dead universe, Rob.
0: <laughs> they would be uh deadly.
1: OP, yeah, OP for sure. Uh so this is great. Uh and it just uh just insane levels of violence here. Although we don't see too much of it, the impression is there, the sound, uh, and just the, the feel of the scene is, is really intense. And uh poor Nacho. This this yeah. guy, yeah, poor guy.
0: So I want to go back to something from last week with Nacho that we saw him get that treatment from the vet. And the the vet told him, like, you need to go and get somewhere with imaging equipment because, you know, uh, I can't guarantee you that one of these bullets uh, didn't, you know, perforate your bowels and, you know, that there 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 could be an issue uh, with that. Nacho is holding his side. He is bleeding from his side uh, during this shootout. We uh, end up seeing him later on in the episode uh, with uh, with Papa and (laughs) uh, he is he is not doing well. Do you think that we are headed down that path where what the doctor was warning about uh, is going to end up befalling Nacho?
1: I really don't want to see a perforated bowel on Better Call Saul. Rob, okay, if it's but just are, are we same. going to so? So he's gone to
0: his dad. He needs to recuperate. Uh, that he, dad is going to call the police. Not just his dad. Don't do it. It's it's going to be bad for me. He hangs up. But when Nacho and takes a turn for the worse, hypothetically, does dad end up uh, you know calling an ambulance to save Nacho?
1: And then ultimately sealing his fate. I think that's a, that's a very poetic and possible ending for this Nacho Papa storyline. Because it, it was interesting or odd to me that we saw Nacho in the house with Papa. He looked really, really rough, right? But we, that he didn't go right from the shootout to Papa. He went and met with Gus first. And he was able to carry on a conversation with Gus. I mean, he looked speaking of green around the gills. He didn't look good uh, in that scene, but he didn't look like he looks in this scene with Papa where he looks like death warmed over. uh, And he looks like he really, you know, you got to call the ambulance right away. Like he was able to at least talk to Gus. Uh, He was barely able to talk to Papa, like maybe not even you know, coming in and out of consciousness. So I think you're onto something here. Like if this continues, the problem I have with that is I think we got a full season story here for Nacho unless he goes and dies uh, in the next couple of episodes so I don't know how we draw that out over six episodes I guess if anybody can it'll be better call Saul Rob
0: yeah I mean uh, dragging (laughs) things out is the specialty of this show so uh, I I mean it feels like that this is a a direction where this could be going and uh, you know it doesn't feel like a happy story for the uh, Nacho family
1: yeah, not it's not so happy ending for sure. Um, and Gus, the the freaking vulture that he is, says, you know, go get some rest. You have some more work to do. And this is just not going to end well. Like mm-hmm. this is there's no way whatever Gus has him do next, like this is just going to get worse and worse. I have a feeling. So I, I just really it, it's rough. The scene with Papa is so rough to me. Like I can't take much more of this. That guy that plays Papa is so he's got so much emotion in him and it's so sad just wants to uh, upholster stuff he just wants to he wants his son to embrace the upholstery business rob i mean mm-hmm. maybe his uh maybe his goals are a little short-sighted but still and still all it doesn't deserve this
0: no he does not so so uh we'll see how nacho uh recuperates uh coming up next week is there anyone uh, dip to dip into the mailbag
1: Let's do it. I hope someone asked that if Nacho dies, will Mike and Papa be in the same meeting uh, Uh of survivors? That would be pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) No one asked that. That's too bad. (laughs) Johnny D Silvera wants Uh, to know, is there
0: any meal worse you can think of than eggplant and okra?
1: Yes, uh it involves uh, Nacho's perforated bowel. Mm,
0: yeah. Uh what about uh spaghetti with uh meat sauce and hot dogs?
1: Is that what you had for dinner?
0: So <laughs> <It's laughs> uh, somebody came over and made that for me.
1: Oh, well it sounds delicious, Rob. Uh it sounds like uh something sounds like somebody's trying to make you fat.
2: <laughs> Sweetie.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Uh yeah. Sounds like somebody's trying to make you fat, Rob. Yep. Uh it's too bad.
0: <laughs> uh, J- uh Johnny DeSavera also wants to know how did the police uh not attend Nacho's dad's uh nine one one hang up? Do you know uh what goes on there, Antonio? If you call 911 and then you hang up, do they follow up with you?
1: I saw Ari Ferrari subtweeting Better Call Saul as well, not mentioning it by name but saying the nine one one hang up trope drives him nuts. Uh, and yeah, this is true. Uh, I, I cleaned up his tweet by the way. Um, but yeah, this is, uh, you would think that if you've got a nine one one hang up that they, uh, they might just, uh, show up and say, we better check this out at least. But I live in a town, Rob, where nine one one is under a lot of scrutiny because of failure to respond to a call and an inability to find a poor kid that was being crushed in his car. Uh, so, they're not always on the ball. The nine one one, a lot of the times they're great. uh, And I know that they do follow up, uh, but oftentimes they do not. Uh, They get a lot of prank calls from kids. They get a lot of calls uh, and they're busy. So they can't always send somebody for every nine one one hang up. And you got to think in Albuquerque, there might've been another incident. That's the other thing is I want to know what kind of DEA heat is Mm going to come from the Salamanca's killing like 30 guys at an out of the way motel. Uh, seemingly, there's going to be some heat coming down for that. Um, where's that Gomi? Been, where's Gomi? Where's Hank Schrader? I mean, Rob, should I be tweeting at Dean Norris here uh, to ask him if he's going to be on the show or anything else? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know, uh, but I think that that's going to be something we see. So maybe they're busy doing other things than 911, but they should be showing up at some of these hangups for sure. Okay. Rob, I've got an email here from Mark Leffler. Again, you can always email us at BCS at post This one came in Rob and Mark says, Rob Antonio, is it time we call this show out for what it's doing? That is it's going absolutely nowhere at any sort of speed whatsoever. If BCS wasn't attached to breaking bad, would anyone still be watching or caring about this show? I've defended the show for the first three seasons, knowing that the slow burn typically pays off in this universe. But even I, I simply can't do it anymore. Watching Jimmy clean, vacuum, bounce balls, shave, etc., and Mike eat breakfast yet again isn't prestige TV. It's a bad pre-merge Survivor season at its absolute worst. Am I wrong? Am I just being impatient? Are we just going to see more of the same until episode ten when we finally get Saul Kim leaves and Nacho makes some sort of hero decision and finally gets killed? Talk me off my Is that ledge, episode please. ten or
0: season ten that was happening
1: episode 10. (laughs) I
2: I don't don't think we're getting that by uh, season 10. (laughs) 10.
1: Rob, you're not talking Mark off his ledge. You're talking him onto it. Well, This
0: is the, you wanted me to talk. I talked of emails. I think Uh, that Mark has had enough.
1: Well, but uh, you said, you know, the buzz, if you put it on Twitter, uh, is uh, there, are, there are people saying the same things as Mark. Uh, there are people that have tweeted at us uh, and said similar things. I had a tweet from at, hey, Miker, I love BCS as much as the next person, but sometimes I think they waste a lot of time in their storytelling, like a 10 episode season could be told in six. So they stretch a heist to take longer or show Saul bouncing a ball eight times instead of two. And again, I, I do think we have, Talked about from, I mean, you can go back and listen to our podcast from season one. I promise you, they're in this vein. Uh, Whether or not the show is taking too much time to tell a story, uh, is it a slow burn? It seems like from uh, the email there from Mark, uh, maybe Mark has had enough. But like I said earlier, it took two and a half seasons of Jimmy and Chuck to get us to a point where we had the climax of chicanery. And I do think at the end of whatever happens this season and and a lot of these storylines, We're going to be in a good place. The, the nacho papa stuff feels like they're really speeding it up here. So I would expect we might see something with nacho by the end of this season, uh, in a bad, in a bad way, or at least some kind of, uh, that's going to really come to a head more than it already has, yeah. uh, but I don't know uh, about about Kim. That's what I'm curious about. Do you think, Rob, by the end of this season, uh, we see uh, Kim walking away from Jimmy? Is that where we're headed with this therapy and with Kim being on our own kind of wiles with the the law?
0: I do not think you will see uh, Kim walking away uh, from Jimmy at the end of the season. I think Kim will be on this show up until its finale. I don't think that it will reach a point where Kim is gone. Kim is killed off. I think that this is the story of Jimmy and and Kim. I just, uh, Jimmy one day is going to be Saul Goodman. I I mean, there is no, you know, reveal of like, it's, this is no game of Thrones of like, Oh, how is it all going to play out? It is no breaking bad. We know How how this is going to end. So the only reason to watch this show is if you enjoy spending time with these characters and it's clear that the creators of the show love spending time with these characters and they make a meal out of small things. And I I don't think that they have anywhere in particular they need or want to go with the show I think that they have fun in this universe. They like doing these, you know, interesting shots and montages and they like to, you know, see these characters interact with one another, but I don't think they're in a rush to get anywhere.
1: Yeah. And they've already got a renewal. Like we talked about for the next season and it's not been officially announced as the last season, and you feel like they still have, if they want some Gene stuff to trade on, uh, whether or not that's a full season's worth or a few episodes' worth, so they could jump into that world. Kim could come into that story. Uh, There is definitely more to do in that world still, so it's a question of how much more time do they want to spend in this one. We're several years away Mm -hmm. from the start of Breaking Bad. Uh, We deserve at some point a Time jump in the Better Call Saul universe. I cannot imagine we are going to glacially crawl into the the Breaking Bad timeline. I wouldn't. I would oh, like I to would see it. <laughs> I think, would like to see though. I would like to see us get there. Yeah. Uh, until they
0: lose Alan Sepinwall, they will continue at this pace uh, with with this show, and it's fine. It, it's 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 a pleasant hour of television, but I, I just don't think that we are going to. Ever get you know uh, weeks in a row where it's like oh my god uh, about this development
1: now? Do you think that that is a a real? I mean, is is that is that is the show's pacing? a casualty of the connection to breaking bad. Like, is it because they can't, we know Jimmy will survive. We know that Gus and Mike are in the positions there. And we know so much about what is to come that we can't ever put a lot of it in jeopardy. And as a result, you look at Nacho, you look at Kim and you say like, okay, you're the ones I have to put in jeopardy. Same thing with Chuck. Uh, but is the, the fact that they're having to paint into a frame, uh, what's keeping the show at the pace that it's at.
0: I mean, look at where we are. I mean, Gus Fring. I mean, we're sort of just like, you know, uh, changing around the politics of what territories he he's already in the meth game. He already is, you know, uh, very well established with the cartel. I mean, uh, Mike already knows Gus. I I mean, how much further do we have to go with those characters? And we know that they're not going to die because they're going to be in the the other shows. So I, I feel like that we are, you know, inches away from where those particular characters are supposed to be in the Breaking Bad universe. I mean, do you disagree?
1: we're not i mean we're not far right mike maybe is a little more cold-hearted but i think we're already down the path We're we're not seeing seeing like a
0: young upstart gus fring with a recipe for a chicken in his pocket where he's (laughs) trying you know uh working his way in the restaurant biz and then with i mean that'll be the next prequel of the young gus fring but i mean we're we're close with those characters and but we
1: are how close are we with Jimmy though? If we we're inches with with Gus and Mike, are we feet or miles with Jimmy?
0: I feel like that we are uh, feet away with with Jimmy.
1: Yeah, meters, feet, yards, yeah, sticks.
0: Yeah. 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 So I I mean, there's a way there's a ways to go from, you know, who he is when he shows up in season two of Breaking Bad. There's still there's still a ways to go with uh, with Jimmy. But uh, I feel like, you know, when we get there, that's the end of the show.
1: Yeah. I mean, but it's not though, right? Because that's the end of better call Saul with Jimmy McGill, but you could do, you could foresee a season. I mean, and it would be weird, but you could foresee a season of better call Saul that takes place contemporaneously with breaking bad, where we see some of the events of breaking bad from the Saul Goodman perspective, where we see some of the events of breaking bad from the Gus Fring perspective or from the Mike perspective. So you could see some of that, uh, whether or not they're doing that for multi, multiple seasons. Maybe they just do a couple episodes. Uh, we could get into a point where we're at that same timeline and we play around there. They could last there as long as they want. I mean, if you're talking about AMC building this show out and really investing in it, and we get into the mm-hmm. walking dead territory, Rob, where we're talking about a hypothetical season 10 of better call Saul, that's the kind of thing that you have to do. Uh, and then again, like I said, you've also got the, the epilogue territory yeah, where you're in the gene scenes and how much time can we spend there so there i mean you're right it's the end of the show as the show of will jimmy mcgill become Saul Goodman it's the end of the prequel but it doesn't mean it's necessarily the end of the show and i think that's the interesting thing to me is how much are they interested in continuing to spin the wheels on the prequel versus continuing to accelerate toward the body of the corpus of breaking bad and beyond Uh, and if they have a plan for that i'm not sure oh uh, i guess you have to ask i i, I like that you've created the seppenwall barometer Rob. yes once yeah. alan
0: seppenwall is as uh, thumbs down i, I think then that, that will start to be uh feeding season on better call Saul. but as long as as long as he's uh, still happy i think then uh the show is fine
1: if Mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah. If Alan ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. This is uh, this is interesting. It's not. A, I think it's a valid point. I'm wondering if he's a mirror or if he is a spotlight. But in, in in any way, I think you're probably right about him, perhaps reflecting popular feelings or influencing them one way or the other. Uh, but and not just him. I think other critics as well. But I think he's a good representative one in terms of his love for this show. Uh, it does spend a lot of time, as you point out, uh, enjoying creating montages sequences whether it's Mike building a patio in the past showing us a scene we didn't even know we wanted to see uh, or whether it's a shootout Uh, it's something that they like doing on the show they like making TV that's cool to look at and cool to see uh, they have great directors coming through here uh, all the people that work on the show are top notch so as far as it being a well made show I don't see that ever changing but as far as the urgency of the story I think you make an interesting point with regard to Kim like you're right at this point I think they've cast their their, their lot behind this being the story she's his anchor and Kim she's his anchor now when he cuts her aside you're right the, the Jimmy McGill part of the story is over but I think that's when you might be due a time jump uh and it might be an interesting way to say no more kim in this story so now we're going to get to just the meat of the saul goodman uh stuff that brings me to another question rob do you think by the end of this season jimmy will have used the name saul goodman in some way like introducing himself as saul goodman or acting as saul goodman in some way shape or form not as an attorney per se but maybe just as a person will he start going by that alias in the criminal underworld or otherwise
0: I could see it being said on the show, but I don't believe that that he will be using that alias exclusively at the end of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a character he already created with regard to the selling of his commercial airtime when he was initially disbarred or suspended. Uh, he had to create this guy, this commercial because he couldn't get an actor, couldn't get it to work. So he Saul Goodman, you know, he used the star wipes and everything, and the episode ended with him telling Kim, eh, "It's just a character." And Kim remarked, "Like, oh, he's uh, he's certainly vibrant or lively. Uh, I feel like if he gets into you know running cons this season, we could we could see Saul Goodman." Yeah. And again, I just want to be clear. I didn't hate this episode. It was fine. Yeah, me, the same same. I, I, if we weren't podcasting about the show, I my experiment, and I don't want to encourage anyone to do this unless you're continuing to download the podcast. Please give us those sweet, sweet downloads. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I, I think it might be really good in a binge. I think this might be the show. And this is, again, this is the showrunners paradox that they have to make a show that is both great for a binge these days and something that people are going to pick up on Netflix later on and burn through, but also something people are going to enjoy picking apart week to week like we do rob so i i think it's a paradox for these showrunners these days and i think it certainly is a minefield on better call salt as it is considering all the stuff they have to do because of the source material with breaking bad uh and breaking bad itself a show that was widely popular by the end of the run because of binge watching. So these showrunners and these creators are acutely aware of the benefits of binge watching and why, why creating a show that's bingeable and that plays well on a binge will make sense. Breaking bad though, was like meth, like it was addictive and it was something that made you want to spin through as much of it as possible. This is much more of a slower burn. If this were a drug, I don't know what it would be. What a Quaalude, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's much more of a, a downer, uh, and something that slows you down. So at the end of the day, I don't know how this would play in a binge, but I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh, I've watched it, you know, rewatching it in a binge, but I've never watched it for the first case in a binge. Cause we're doing this week to week. But I think if I were able to just start the next episode after this week, I would have been perfectly satisfied and not thought anything about the pace of this week's episode. Cause I'd have the next one to press play on right away. But if I have to wait a week and what I got the week before was Jimmy bouncing the ball and literally watching paint dry, Yeah, I might be a little frustrated like some of the people that have uh, emailed or tweeted. So here we are.
0: Have you ever heard anybody say, uh, so I I just binged uh, three seasons of Better Call Saul?
1: I haven't no I haven't uh, I have people I've heard, I've heard people say and I respect this uh, I've heard people say I think Ken Croner is one of them uh, like I this I like it more than Breaking Bad like I un- I understand that uh, maybe Breaking Bad is too fast for some people too mm-hmm. intense for some people too crazy for some people I totally get that so maybe some people prefer the slower burn uh, and the real like low uh, pitched character work that's going on here uh, or the, the Shakespearean drama of Jimmy and Chuck is something I think people could have really hung their hat on. There was a lot of depth there. Uh, but I've not heard somebody say I really just sat through and burned through all three seasons of Better Call Saul last weekend. Boy, what a high I'm on. I haven't heard that. No.
0: Yeah. So it's it's a well made show. These are interesting characters, the acting is great, but When we're talking about the question of, you know, if this show is a standalone show that was not in the Breaking Bad universe, I don't know what kind of appeal it would have.
1: That's true. Uh, and I, you know, there are some people out there, as we know, uh, Johnny Silvera being one. I think there are other examples of people who started off by watching Better Call Saul first, who had not seen Breaking Bad and who are really jumping into the Better Call Saul universe with both feet instead of already in the pool and looking around and seeing, uh, seeing what Juan Bolsa is up to or Don Eladio. Uh, so this is a different uh, pool experience for them. Uh, but yeah, there are people who took in Better Call Saul first. And I'm not sure how much they appreciate it uh, more or less. Uh, it does seem like what a lot of what they're doing is these are cool characters and everyone loves them from breaking bad. So let's watch the cousins be the cousins in a way that we saw in breaking bad, but let's see it again in a, in a crazier and more intense over the top way uh, you know, breaking bad to son of bad. Like, let's see this happen here. Uh, so uh, here we are. Uh, Les cousins danger us. Like this is what we're doing.
0: Okay, so uh, we had a, a whole uh, Better Call Saul think tank here at the end of the episode. but We did. Send it to Samoa, Rob. <laughs> send it through. Uh, I, 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 my prediction is I, I think we're going to have more of the same going forward. Maybe I'm dead wrong about this. And uh, I think, well, you know, there'll, there'll be some, you know, some high points uh, here and there. But I think that ultimately the show will continue to move at a similar pace moving forward.
1: Yeah, the we have to go back moment for this show is going to be, and that's a deep cut reference for you Lost fans out there. It's going to be when we get a a cold open in episode 10 of season four or season five or whatever it is. And that cold open is Gene. And all of a sudden, instead of doing just the first scene of the first episode of the season being a gene scene, we get a second one in a season and then it's going to be like, okay, the rules are different. Now the rules are no longer. We're going to have a gene scene at the beginning of every uh, season. We, we are a possibility telling gene stories in these cold opens. Now I think that will be when we really shift uh, the focus right. of this show. If we and did we a, see whole a whole episode is gene, say the season gene premiere, all gene, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. When is this going to stop? Right. Like I thought we were just going to get one scene. We're doing all gene. Now, where are we? Like, are we going to get back? That's a way better call. Saul can change the game for better or worse. They can really throw the We have to go back moment in there and do an all gene or do gene out of order either way. That's what, that's what they've got. They're sitting on that, that they're sitting on that bullet to fire when they want. The question is, is that going to be at the end of season four, beginning of season five and everybody will go nuts. Yeah. Everyone will go nuts and say, I can't believe better call Saul is there. What comes next? Are we going to find out what happens to Jesse? Blah, 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 blah. blah. So you're right. It's a big moment for them. They're probably saving it. It's probably approaching time where they can do that. I still think there's a lot of room for a time jump in this universe, uh, but we have to think, get Jimmy down that road. If he's going to come back into the practice of law as Saul Goodman, which we don't know that he is, I think we're going to meet Saul Goodman as Jimmy before then. So I think we could see some of that this season. I think that could be one of the big pieces that moves down the board. And then Kim and Jimmy could become more and more estranged, but you're right. I think it's going to be more of the same. But like I said, I just want to go back to more of the same with Chuck and Jimmy got us to chicanery and got us to everything that happened with Chuck and Jimmy in season three. I think by that point, I think up until that point, a lot of the time we were saying, show us the mic stuff. I don't I the Jimmy and Chuck stuff is just not as good. I want the mic stuff. And then in that episode, I remember on our podcast, we talked about, I didn't miss Mike at all. Like this was great stuff. Like this Mm -hmm. paid off so much. This was a great episode. And so I think a lot of that owed to everything they put into it with Jimmy and Chuck before that. And I think we're going to get there on some of these other slower paced storylines. It's just, they do take their time. That took two and a half full seasons. So Lord knows how long it'll take to get there with Kim and Jimmy.
0: All right. Antonio, anything else in the better call Saul universe?
1: No, uh, the couch is open now. The, ther- the Better Call Saul Therapy session is, is over. <laughs> I said uh, you want to see the therapist. In. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Somebody made the call, Rob. You asked us to talk and we talked. So here we go. Uh, A
2: shrink for me? <laughs> well, really for Jimmy, but. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it could be for anybody. Yeah. You wanted exactly. me to talk, I talk. Yep. Okay. yeah i'm on the couch all So right. yeah
1: so there the therapy session is over rob uh the doctor is not in session perhaps uh perhaps this season we'll see the return of the better call Saul therapy corner but we'll uh it remains to be seen
0: good all right so maybe we'll be dazzled uh this next week or maybe it'll be another you know a uh, perfectly fine episode of the better call Saul labor day uh next monday uh that they're not doing anything different with the schedule right
1: no, that's just a regularly scheduled Better Call Saul episode. Just another day
2: at the office.
1: You gotta punch a clock sometimes. <laughs> Somebody's yeah. gotta keep the lights on around
2: here. So when you get home from your barbecue... Okay, uh, sorry. we're recording this late. Uh, this is uh, we're we're losing
0: it. Okay, so Antonio is on Twitter. He is at AC Mazzara with two Z's and one R. I'm at Rob and Of course, we uh, always appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us feedback and ratings in the Apple Podcast Store. Go to postshowrecaps dot com slash bcs iTunes. Of course, uh, Antonio and Josh Wiggler have been covering the Sinner.
1: Yeah, the Sinner, yeah. Uh, people really seem to like The Sinner. I'm I'm happy about that. I like The Sinner. You talk about a show that's doing it differently than Better Call Saul. Rob, The Sinner is eight episodes, and it's pretty breakneck. They're uh, they're really delving deep into the mystery of what's happening in that season. Uh, so, highly recommend you check that out if you if you like uh, mystery shows. And uh, Josh and I are covering that on the podcast. Uh, they, Josh and Emily, Rob just finished their coverage. Uh, speaking of mystery shows, of HB. Sharp, sharp objects, objects. Yeah. a show i did binge over the weekend rob uh, and boy a lot goes on on that show let me tell you woof. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's a, there's a lot to unpack in the sharp objects uh we're just scratching the surface with the podcast uh and yes that is a pun uh rob you've got some other stuff going on too right
0: well not to mention that uh jessica lee and i covered uh fear the walking dead and let me just say i thought that this week's fear the walking dead was the best episode of the series Oh my gosh! Yes, what was it called
1: Five O? <laughs> uh,
0: no, it was not called Five uh, uh, O. It was. Uh, don't put me on the spot. Uh, the code. The code was what the it was code.
1: called. Yeah, well, five zero is pol- is code for police. So here we are. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's great to hear. That was Go great. The Walking Dead, man. That was great. And then also uh, look
0: for uh, Joshua Wiggler and I talking about uh, season five, episode three, the High Sparrow on our Game of Thrones uh, rewatch. We love the High Sparrow.
1: Oh yeah, Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> this is great. The Sparrow, Bernie Sanders, and you and Akiva Winnaker are, uh, as mentioned earlier, spinning the wheel. Rob
0: spinning the wheel. It's all happening. And, uh, lots of fun stuff. So, uh, hope you guys have room on your, uh, podcast, uh, listening devices.
1: (laughs) I hope so too. I I feel like you're losing it, Rob. We should wrap this up. We're falling apart here. (laughs) It's a long day for you.
0: It's, it's been, uh, about, you know, uh, four, Plus hours of podcasting within the last five hours. So I think I've uh, reached the point where I'm, uh, you know, criminally insane as a podcaster. Is that the law? (laughs)
1: yeah i think that's right that is the law uh i looked it up uh, you have a, a good defense here just don't represent yourself in court uh i think we should go for another hour here rob i think some magic could happen uh, <laughs> probably <laughs> just kidding probably. Yeah, let's wrap it up no magic here we're done we're
0: all done. right everybody uh thanks so much for checking out the podcast we love to hear from you either on social media or bcs at post take care everybody have a good one
2: bye